In this true crime law and order podcast, the episodes are presented by two separate yet equally ridiculous individuals, one who researches the actual crime and the other who recaps the episode. These are their stories. Oof. <laughs> yes? Uh, nothing. I'm just uh, I'm in a little pillow fort basically right now. In a little uh, uh-huh. fun blanket pillow fort because we have a thunderstorm happening here on the east coast right now and it actually might even snow they said this weekend wow i know i'd be surprised i love thunderstorms i do too i do too it's not conducive for recording i don't think (laughs) we'll find out well but uh i do love listeners it's just it's ambiance consider today's uh episode to be an immersive experience exactly it's like it's like there's a a white noise machine, one of those sound machines in the background, just sort of, instead of like a babbling brook, it's a roaring thunderstorm. Ah. That's so fun. I don't know why. I find thunderstorms very exciting. I love them. I love them when I'm not driving in them. And I'm not driving today, so it's been great. Wait, you have a hard time driving in thunderstorms? Well, because they're accompanied by rain. Oh, okay. Well, sure. I, I guess that was I was implying that it was both. It's a rain and thunderstorm over here. <laughs> okay, because sometimes you can have just thunder. Yeah, that's true. That's true. When I say thunderstorm, I usually think of it all. This is really grade A content for weather. the listeners. Weather, <laughs> weather chat. Thanks for weather chat. <laughs> uh, how's it going? It's, generally, it's going pretty good. You know, it's it's pretty good. Are you? Are you still, you're still working with the same company, but are you also, are you allowed to say whether you're looking for a new job or not? They know I'm looking. I mean, the the terms of me coming here and still working there were temporary. So they're, uh, they're right. well aware that I'm on the hunt. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, no major luck yet. <laughs> we'll hey. see. I'm, I'm confident I'll get something, but it's so far I'm striking out. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it takes time sometimes. Yeah, it takes time sometimes. The more you know. (laughs) Anyway, can you please explain to me your item that you have on the list to discuss? Oh, yeah. We were having a conversation about favorite condiments the other day. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And You and I or you and Davey? (laughs) Davey and I. And I wanted to ask you, do you consider salsa a condiment? That's tricky. I know. This is a big, um, big, I'm big gonna question. S- I'm going to say no, because I feel like I would eat salsa unaccompanied, but I wouldn't just, like, I would eat salsa with a chip, but I wouldn't just scoop some mustard up with a chip. Okay. Although I would scoop some ketchup up with a fry. Right? I mean, and that's basically just a different type of potato. I mean. I do think a lot of people do consider salsa a condiment. I yeah, wonder, I because I would, sure, it's a condiment. Okay, because I think I would consider it a condiment, and Davy Davy agrees too, but I've I've had pushback on this before with others. I because salsa is one of my favorite. I would say salsa is my favorite condiment. If I had to pick one favorite only, which is hard because I am yeah. a condiment queen, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> salsa is my favorite. Con- What's your favorite condiment? Well, if salsa is included, definitely salsa. Oh. Otherwise. I guess, um, because the others are mayonnaise, mustard, ketchup, relish. Ranch. Is that it? Ranch. Okay, well then probably ranch. Mm. But um, I would say mustard, ketchup, the only, only, only acceptable use for ketchup is french fries. It should be on absolutely nothing else. Not a hot dog, not scrambled eggs, not a hamburger. Oh, come on. None of those things. I mean... No, unacceptable. I like hot sauce or salsa on scrambled eggs instead of ketchup, but I would absolutely yes. eat ketchup with scrambled eggs when one of those <sighs> is not available. Ooh, the, the, a real good combo no. is you mix the hot sauce with the ketchup for your scrambled eggs. That's a nice Oof. That's a nice one-two punch for you. I'm, I'm gonna hurl. Ah! I, <laughs> I, I have been having a really fun conversation with people lately where at work, <laughs> so I supervise a department with like 14 student workers and Mm -hmm. they are like, just like 
so fun and so funny. And I recently interjected just a really large amount of chaos into the group conversation the other day by um, asking everyone. I think this is a game I got from Erin on Hey Riddle Riddle. Okay. Um, but I asked people to classify any food item as either a soup or a salad. Oh, I've heard of this game. And it's so much fun. People get very worked up and have hilarious debates like lasagna is that a soup or a salad and people just go wild Mm. um like salsa i'm gonna say soup Uh, oh yeah well yeah because there's a a firm liquid base to it but then listen pico de gallo salad salad yeah absolutely okay so anyway if you ever lasagna i'm gonna say soup yeah, I would say soup. Come on. Because there's noodles, there's a sauce, which yeah. could be like the yeah. the base. Hmm. <sighs> it's a lot of fun. It's a really, really fun game to play with people. So meatloaf. if you... <laughs> meatloaf is, I'm going to say, a salad. I don't know. I think meatloaf is... Because there's like, like maybe flecks of parsley and, and garlic and things like that and... Uh, it's not, there's no, there's no liquidiness to it really, unless you're like putting, if you put gravy or something on it, that's the soup. But a meatloaf shouldn't be dry. It should have a moisture to it. So it should have some sort of liquid (laughs) component. So does salad. True. Not always though. Well, I guess so. And then I would also say meatloaf is, okay, my favorite type of meatloaf has a cheese component, and that cheese is usually a melty sort of cheese component. Cheese? Yes. I don't think I've ever had meatloaf with cheese. Oh my gosh. I I think it was my stepmom or someone, someone I know, used to make this meatloaf with like a cheese, almost like a swirl in the middle of it, hmm. and it would melt and become like gooey gooey and delicious, and that makes me feel like it's more of a, sa- a soup, because the cheese is melty. Not dry, not like, you know, solid, like a, like a cheese in a salad. But you could have like a, a warm brie salad where the, the brie is like hot and melty oh, and then so you're eating bougie. it with lettuce. How bougie is that? Uh. <laughs> 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 <Moving> anyway, <on. laughs> my only item that I wanted to talk about, which I don't think I have ever brought up on the podcast there you know how on my favorite murder they have really enjoyed the story of like the feral cocaine hogs and the cocaine bears and all of that stuff Uh uh so i don't think i have mentioned that in 2020 i think 2020 it might have been 2021 it's all blurred together at this point Mm. there was a headline that i cannot believe didn't circulate the internet with more incredulity than it did because it's one of those moments where it was like well i didn't have that on my bingo card of like unbelievably random shit that (laughs) happened shakira was attacked by feral hogs and they stole her purse oh my god (laughs) what she was fine but she was attacked by feral hogs who stole her purse where the hell was she i don't i don't know i don't know but i just the shakira feral hogs purse thief (laughs) how are all of these things in one moment that's chaotic yep um speaking of chaotic britney spears conservatorship officially over today (gasps) um wasn't it yesterday oh maybe maybe yesterday well by the time this releases it'll be a few days ago anyway so hurrah yes true true yeah so she's free very exciting it's exciting. It's really exciting. Good for her. I'm really happy for her. Uh, did you ever watch that show, Chaotic, with her and Kevin? I never did. You know, I'm a big Britney fan. It was fan, a while. And I never watched it either. I'm a big Britney fan. I'm a big really? um, reality TV fan. And somehow I think, even when it came out, I was like, oh, this is this is kind of like sad. I don't want to watch this. <laughs> yeah, true. She was in her like most right. It was really destructive free. phase, yeah. it appeared from the outside. Yeah, yikes. Um, Shakira was walking in a park in Spain when she was attacked by feral hogs. Wow. <laughs> Who knew the things that could happen to you just strolling through a park in Spain? And the, her purse had her cell phone in it, so the, fo- the hogs stole her cell phone, too. <laughs> I wonder if her purse had, like, some sort of snack in it. I mean, maybe. I just think it's so funny. Like, how <laughs> did she try to hit it with a purse and it got hooked on a tusk and it ran away? She should have been carrying her purse underneath her clothes 
You're welcome. Or she should have turned into a she-wolf. <gasps> Ooh. Oh. <laughs> okay, enough. Let's get into the episode. <laughs> Let's do it. So it's season three, episode 11 of our show, which is episode 10 of Law & Order. It's called Consultation. Matt, before we get started, do you just want to tell the listeners the text message that I sent you last night? <laughs> <laughs> Where was it? I know exactly what you're talking Oh, you said, oof, good luck recapping this episode. <laughs> <laughs> was I wrong? No, you weren't wrong. It didn't start out so terrible. But as it went on, I was like, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Yeah, this was this is a doozy. It's uh yeah. yeah. So we're beginning in a back of a cab with a very pregnant woman who says that she just flew in from Nigeria and the cab driver is doing something very annoying. She will not shut up. Like <laughs> will not stop talking. And as a former Lyft driver, I have to say, you need to know how to read the room read the car yes and when someone wants to chat they let you know and when they don't they they let you know that too and she is just off the off the chain it's like it's bad enough when you're being held hostage in a conversation with someone that you actually know like at a bar or party or at work or something but in a car with a stranger with no escape that's like a hell you know i I would really like to see society move in a direction where we we decide it's acceptable to be like, hey, I don't want to talk. And you know, like, just I okay. think that should be, ex- <laughs> right, it's not about you, I'm not trying to be offensive, I just like, I don't want to talk right now. Like, that should be an acceptable thing to say in a taxi or an Uber or at the barbershop or hair salon. Or like, work. I just, no, I'm done. Yes, it really, or, while you're on your lunch break. It's, I just need, like, a, a, a yellow bracelet or something that when people see it, they understand, please don't talk to me right now. And it shouldn't, it's a, it shouldn't be an insult. No. <laughs> just leave me alone. Right. Just please leave me alone. <laughs> so, anyway, they continue on, and the woman is seeming to have serious contractions of some type in the back of the car, and then we cut to a hospital scene with her going into what they say will be an emergency C-section, but within minutes, instead, we find out that both the mother and baby have unfortunately passed. This was a very long death scene. It was. By the way. It was like, a, I there thought was I was a lot of like ER for a second. Very, yeah, there was a lot of like flatlining, baby flatlining, no pulse, flatlining. Lo- like there was just, <laughs> it went on for several minutes. Lots of medical jargon being thrown around yes. arbitrarily, like scalpel, uh, suture. <laughs> flatlining it was a lot they do that again with something else later this this title this episode should have been like jargon land yeah the opening credits began so i decided i had some time so in the spirit Mm -hmm. of taylor swift i re-recorded an old ace of bass record and i titled each track matt's version (laughs) you could check it out on itunes and i'd say don't turn around is the standout the standout track uh, available on iTunes. <laughs> By the way, Ace of Base was one of the first CDs I ever bought. <laughs> Ace of Base was one of my earlier CDs, for sure. I, my very first CD ever was Michael Jackson's Dangerous. Uh, my first one was No Doubt Tragic Kingdom. Oh, that was also pretty early on. That, wait a minute. That came out when we were like, that came out in the early 90s, right? Uh, Yeah, I was in... Or mid-90s, uh, maybe? Um, I think I was in... Either late middle school, early high school, eh, late middle school. Because I, I remember you're like Return of you're Saturn. like five years younger than me, barely. But yeah, that was it. That was the first one when I finally got the courage to uh, sneak myself to Sam Goody and buy a CD. <laughs> speaking of which, speaking of Taylor Swift, mm-hmm. we were so the student group or the students that I supervise. We had like our team meeting yesterday, mm-hmm. and like people were going around and checking in, and somebody mentioned like, "Oh, and Taylor Swift came out," and I was like, "Hold up, Ugh. what do you mean Taylor Swift came out?" I was like, "Taylor Swift is queer." Turns out, no, they were just talking about her album. Yeah, <laughs> I actually just recently read into the whole like Taylor's version of her previous albums scenario. Yes, it's pretty wild. Yeah, pretty groundbreaking. I don't stuff. fully understand it, and. Yeah. yeah well. Just saying. Go go you. Great. Go you girl. Whether you like her music or not, it's a pretty uh pretty cool thing she's doing. Anyway. I'm not I'm not a swift head. <laughs> I'm I'm uh I'm on the fence. I'm becoming a swift head. <laughs> All right. 
So we come back, and after we get some unnecessary racist rhetoric from the doctor about how he wants to work in an upper-class neighborhood instead, we find out that the deceased woman was smuggling heroin and had 60, count them, 60 condoms full of heroin in her belly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) One of which has broken, and that's what caused this whole scenario. So... We find out that the name of the deceased is Kalani Amoda, and it was her first time in the U.S. She was 20 years old. And Cragen has Briscoe and Logan go question the cab driver to see where they were headed. Mm-hmm. She says one minute she was fine, the next minute she was in labor, and so she gives them the address where they were headed, and the detectives follow up. They go there, and it's a Nigerian restaurant, and the manager says that he doesn't know Kalani, but there is a Joseph Amoda who lives in the city, and he's revered by the community as an important businessman. (sighs) They go to see him, and he's actually a street merchant selling, like, statues. African totems and (laughs) statues and things. And I imagine he's, like, randomly giving them knowledge, like, this is the fertility thing. Oh, you mentioned this? This must be about that. And it's like Law and Order's way of trying to be, like, representative, I think. That's what they're trying to do. This episode <laughs> it's a no is for me. awful. <laughs> yeah. It's a big no for me. Like, there were so many things where I was like, I, I obviously am not an expert in Nigerian culture, but there were so many moments where I was like, that does not sound like a correct Nigerian accent. Like, that really seems like a stereotype. Oh, God, I can't believe they're saying that right now. So... It yeah, felt it was it was a it was a lot. It felt very much like someone went through and like was like, hmm, how can we make this clear that this is a episode about Nigerian people? <laughs> this looks it looks like what we it went felt to like Pier to me, one or World Market. <laughs> yes, I was gonna say it's like they decided in the writers' room we're gonna do an episode that is themed about Nigeria and the ba- the source material that they used to write the story was a middle school textbook from the (laughs) mid-1980s. So they get nothing from this guy. He doesn't even know Kalani. Later, they go to a Nigerian travel agency. Oh my god, this scene. So they go to the travel agency, and uh, Logan and Briscoe are, like, ogling the attractive woman at the desk, and they're sure that they can get information out of her if they could sweet-talk her. And the next scene shows Logan barreling down the stairs of the police station like a buffalo or Alex McCord in Morocco. (laughs) (laughs) And the insinuation is that he took her out and bought her drinks and like had a date with her and had a long night and he got the passenger list from her. And I was like, um, okay, number one, Logan, you may be like mildly attractive back then, but the second you open your mouth, you're total trash trash yeah and is this standard police work will this evidence no. hold and up that in court? woman was way out of his <laughs> oh 100 stunning yeah <laughs> it was like a young vanessa williams so very much yeah they find very little from this roster they get but they discover that kalani would have been working according to her entry form at a place called nigerian petroleum distribution by the way, every business in here that has to do with Nigeria has the word Nigeria in the title. Of course. <laughs> How else would we know? <laughs> so off they go. And there's, of course, at the Nigerian Petroleum Distribution, the whole staff is Nigerian, except for the boss as an American white guy heading the whole operation. Yeah. And he's like super, um, like, I'm just, I'm doing good work, like, giving people an opportunity, right. blah, blah, blah. Right, and I, and he he does that thing, like, I know these people because I spent some time over there. It's like when, like, a white woman goes <sighs> to Mexico and comes back and she's like, gracias. <laughs> <laughs> I think about that meme it's that you best. send me all the time. It's my favorite. <laughs> uh, oh, so we find out that the Kalani was going to be a cook. And Logan says, Americans can't make tuna sandwiches. Get out of here. I Get out of here. There's a lot of that BS in this episode. Also, if you're hiring a cook, I'm pretty sure that they're not making you tuna sandwiches. Yeah, come on. <laughs> so he, he gives them her husband's address. His name is Babatunde. And he says, maybe you can go talk to him. They get there, and they're ready to pounce on him immediately. You could tell when they open the door. 
Yeah. But the guy has no idea what's going on, very clueless, and so they take him to the station, and they break the news to him of what's happened. Okay, wait, before you go any further with the story, Uh I have two things to say. Okay. One, he is hot. He is. I should have looked for guest stars here. He was hot. He kind of looked familiar, too. He's a really famous guest star as well. I actually did look oh, him up, even good. though I wasn't the recapper. He, um, his name is something like like Seth Gilliam or something like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that I think I might have gotten it right. Yeah, Seth Gilliam. And he was on a bunch of TV shows as like a series regular. He has been on The Walking Dead for like 150 episodes That's as from. Gabriel Stokes. Uh, he was on Oz for a long time. Um, but this was one of his earlier acting roles and oof, he is a good looking man. He is. He's not the only one in this episode either. No. So he is grief stricken and he says, you know, now his wife is dead all because he want, all because that they wanted their child to be born in the U S. So they go to the immigration office next and the guy at the immigration office, I can not even... I cannot even. He is... Was he one of the several different offensive white men who was typing on a computer throughout the episode? He is the main offensive white man typing on a computer. And he's typing on the loudest keyboard I've ever heard in my life. It's like (laughs) clicking and clacking the whole time he's there. And he's really exaggerating his hands to show the audience, like, I'm on the computer. Like, his hands are up and down. Like, he's like a Beethoven is insane. And... This is... I was just going to say, like, somebody fake playing the piano. <laughs> yes. Like Lady Gaga in, uh, with her foot up on, on the piano. She was playing the piano for real, though. I know, but it's the very uh, theatrical, is what I'm saying. Have you seen that video of Lady Gaga uh, with, like, two women on either side of her? And she sings, like, um, I don't know what song it is that she's singing, but it ends with the word stay. And, like, she sings it, and then she, like, offers, like, one of the girls next to her to, like, also sing the, like, final word, stay. And she has, like, this astonishing voice, and Lady Gaga's, like, so impressed, and, like, wow. And then, like, turns to the other girl and, like, offers her the opportunity to sing, stay. And the the next girl is like, stay! (laughs) I think I have. It's one of the best videos on the internet. So if you haven't seen it, you need to go look it up right now. Have you seen the video of Celine Dion in her car on the street? And she's got her window down. And a woman is, like, singing at her. (laughs) And she's got her sunglasses on. And, like, she... I've seen this one. She stops a little bit and is like, wait, wait, wait. And then you get to hear the woman singing at her. And she just doesn't move at all. But the window window. just rolls (laughs) So good. Oh my gosh. Well, basically in this scene, this is basically what it sounds like. He says something like, we got an EP3 and a CP12. Hmm. Click, 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 click. Hey, hey, it's EBPI and CP06T report. This is weird. We got a PQW. I wonder what that means. Click, 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 click. It is like 34 F4Is in the last month. Yes, it goes on for so long. He's just shouting random letters and numbers and saying the word report. Yeah. And all we find is that. The sponsor for Kalani is a tribal chief named Ola Nawaka. We go to see the chief who comes down in his very nice house. He comes down a cheetah print staircase. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. episode, I'm telling you. (laughs) He comes down the steps and says that, you know, all people that are... Yoruba in Nigeria, our brother and sister, and he as chief is like their father. So yes, he sponsored her, but it was more like a ceremonial thing. He doesn't really know her. So they look into his background, and he's got two counts of grand larceny against the Bank of Nigeria, North America, but the charges were both dropped. And they go to the bank, and they speak to a hot banker, And they talk to him, and he tells them that the first time, they sort of let the whole thing go and drop the charges. And the second time, they were sort of duped by him because he had someone named Marietta, who was like his straw man. And Marietta is the white guy who heads the Nigerian petroleum company. So they go back to talk to him. And he's like, oh, yeah, I mean, I fell for that guy's scam. I didn't know. Like, he sweet talks everybody, but... That was a long time ago. We're no longer involved. 
And Logan says, hey, a woman flies in with a belly full of no-nos, and you give her a job? A belly full of I no-nos. vomited profusely I at that line. <laughs> cannot. But he says, uh, I don't have any information for you, and you're not going to get anything out of me without a warrant, so see you later. So they decide, <laughs> instead of going through the trouble of getting a warrant, they're just going to go back to immigration, where we talk to the robot 80s guy again. And he's like, and he says a bunch more letters, letters and numbers. Beep beep boop pop boop. He's like two XL, <laughs> and uh, they complain to him about how the jobs that these Nigerian folks were getting should have gone to Americans instead. And it's like uh, nothing like a group of old white guys complaining about jobs they don't want going to people who are willing to work. Uh, yeah, this uh, every everything about this episode was atrociously Unreal. offensive. Unreal. They end up pulling in to the station a sanitation worker named Fabian, and he is terrified, and they take advantage and prey on that fear by letting him think that they will beat him up, and in doing so, they pressure him to give them information. He mm-hmm. says that he was forced to do this this illegal drug trade and swallow drugs and come to America, and he he told Kalani to do the same thing at the orders of Mr. Marietta. And they arrest him, and we are out of the law part and into the order, thank God. But, unfortunately, we but, are not done with Logan and Prescott. The episode. <laughs> Stone meets with Marietta's attorney, who... <laughs> his accent and affect in this scene is like... An Agatha Christie novel, like, I'm watching Clue, like, I don't know where, what plane of existence he came off of. And he says... Is he kind of the, the older, slightly more heavyset man? Yeah, he goes, I'm glad you can smile while your case swells round the bowl. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he, oh, he, he claims that it's racist that his client is being implicated because his client is white. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Then he gets up and flourishes his hands about like a magician and smiles like a mad magazine drawing and leaves saying, good luck with this case, Stone. And Schiff then meets with Robinette and Stone and says that they need more evidence. So they propose the idea that with the amount of drugs that Kalani had, it probably wouldn't have just been entrusted to just her or Fabian. And so they ask Fabian again for details of the transaction, and they suggest to him that he was not alone. But he clearly lies and says that he was. And Stone asks Cragen to send his team back out to the hotel and dust for fingerprints, which at this point, it's been days. It's a hotel. Like, I don't see how this is going to really turn anything up. But it kind (sighs) of brings something up, I guess. This is the hotel that Fabian was supposed to be waiting at, by the way, to meet Kalani. A detail that they kind of throw in, like, out of nowhere and is now a main mm-hmm. point of the case. Plot point. Yeah. So they get Prince at this hotel for a Michael K- Kano. And this guy was released from Attica eight months prior. And they go to check with his parole officer, who's dressed like Murphy Brown. And she says that Kano was a model citizen, and he's gainfully employed as a driver for who? Chief Nuaka. So, they bring in Kano, and he says that he was at a hotel. Big deal. And his public defender, who, by the way, is over it from the moment she's on screen. She has no time. She's like, I don't even want to be here. Let's get this over with. She agrees and says, you have no evidence, so I'm not here to, to play with you guys we're not doing anything i'm out of here schiff then tells the da's team that it's a shame because the people who were least involved are going to get the short end of the stick which leads to the leads them to think that maybe kalani's widower babatunde would be willing to talk now that he's like lost everything and has nothing to lose Mm -hmm. and robinette meets with him but he is sure that the chief would never do that he's a big fanboy for the chief and he says that you know he would never do anything wrong, and it's not his fault. So Stone decides that maybe if they charge the chief with a smaller charge, that like something like a drug charge, he'll maybe talk to keep his name clean. Logan and Briscoe wait for their suspect and have a talk about what a sex maniac Logan is, which is 
<laughs> luckily interrupted by the chief arriving, and they arrest him on the spot for criminal facilitation. His lawyer, who is dressed in a full tuxedo, like, <clears throat> he should have had a top hat and a cane and a monocle. They were going to some sort of dinner party is the explanation, but I think the costume department was just like, when are we going to use this tux? <laughs> it's pretty absurd. <laughs> and it appears as though because of the chief's standing on some trade council, he has diplomatic immunity and can't be charged for this. And the chief during this whole scene is sitting in a chair with a cigarette in his hand in the most Virginia Slims pose I've ever seen in my life. Uh, that pose. I was like, are they making this character queer suddenly? It was suddenly? so, <laughs> like, he was about to read the room. Like, he was about to spill some tea. He was about to read someone for filth. <laughs> yes. Eventually, Schiff calls the DA's team to meet, with, meet him with a representative from the Nigerian embassy. And this guy says that the chief's immunity stands unless there was a grave crime and unless they can prove intent to murder. But he's not here to defend the chief. Evidently, Chief Nawaka is sort of like a black sheep to them. There's plenty of chiefs over there. There's hundreds. And he's sort of an embarrassment because of, like, his playboy status. But he does have a father in Nigeria who's looked at as, like, a king. So he would love for this guy to go down, but they need strong evidence because he's got, you know, political backing in Nigeria. Yeah. He's also not surprised that Kano won't testify against the chief because that would mean a term uh, that means living death for him in their culture. So then they go to try to get to Fabian, but he's already been released on bail and he's nowhere to be found. And so they take their chance with Kano anyway. And they suppose maybe living death is worse than death, death. <laughs> so his public <laughs> defender, who is still very over it and is like, I don't have time to play. I'm over this. What are we here for? Stone and the councilman from Nigeria say, you know what? Fine. We'll drop the charges and he'll be deported and tried in Nigeria where his sentence will be actual death. And she's very caught off guard and Stone is like, I'm not here to play either. And uh, Kano decides, I will not die for this guy and I will testify. So Chief Nawaka and Marietta are now in court to plead to their charges and uh, Marietta pleads not guilty. Nawaka's attorney tries the whole immunity thing but it doesn't really stick because it's a grave crime. And both men are held without bail, and they're forced to surrender their passports. And now, that magician-like attorney from before has dropped the pompous affect to his voice and the big shit-eating grin, and he says, you know, <laughs> my client will give up Nuwaka for a deal, and Robinette agrees. In the next scene, on trial, Marietta testifies that Nuwaka had made this whole plan up. It was his idea, and they originally were smuggling diamonds, and they recent, recently switched to heroin. And then Kano takes the stand and admits that he would be the one who would retrieve the heroin. Gross job, because, you know, it was coming out in poop. Um, <laughs> just saying. And he would bring it back to Chief Nawaka, and he was supposed to meet Kalani at his request as well. On cross... He has to admit, though, that he did, he did cut a deal with the prosecution to reduce his sentence for testimony. So this reduces his credibility as a witness. And then last up on the stand is Babatunde himself, who testifies on the behalf of the chief. He's saying the chief is a great guy. He would never do anything wrong. And then we find out that evidently he's been lying the whole time about one thing, at least. He did know who Kano was. He did know the, that Kano worked for the chief. He does know these people a little bit, but he didn't say anything because he didn't want the chief to look bad if Kano was being implicated and that they, they could like tie that back to the chief. It would have been like shameful and he believes in the chief's innocence. It's kind of confusing to be honest, but this whole episode was pretty confusing to be honest. Yeah, he ends up being in possession of a letter because evidently the mail is slow from Nigeria. And he gets a letter during this whole process from Kalani, posthumously, that ties Fabian, the uh, sanitation worker, to the chief and the whole, like, operation of, like, you know, her swallowing the, the drugs. And he thinks that this is going to show that the chief is innocent and that, like, Fabian is to blame. But instead it backfires and it actually gives the prosecution what they need because it ties Fabian to the chief, which ties the chief to Kalani. And so... They have what they need to, you know, maybe get a guilty verdict. 
The next and sort of final scene shows the court waiting and waiting for the chief to arrive. The defendant is nowhere to be found. He's more than 45 minutes late, and so the judge issues a bench warrant for his arrest. We learn shortly afterwards that he has fled to Nigeria with a passport issued by none other than that Nigerian embassy guy, the guy who came down and said that he would have wanted to nail, Kane, nail um, the chief in the first place. And so Stone is like, oh my god, we've been had. And they kind of were, <laughs> but they kind of weren't. So it seems like the guy from the embassy just wanted Stone to do all the work for him so that they can take him back to Nigeria. So he admits in the next scene to Stone that, yes, I did give him a passport to go back home, but only because, you know, you did all the work for us. Thank you so much. And now with your evidence, he will definitely be found guilty in Nigeria. And uh, we don't want him to have justice here in America. They want it carried out their way in Nigeria, which is implied to be some sort of brutal death. And with that, the episode comes to a conclusion. Hallelujah. Oof. I thank God, honestly. <laughs> Yeah, that, oh boy, the, I guess we'll talk about how we rate the episode at the end, but wow. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> Just wow. It was a lot. Do you know what this felt like to me? This felt like the writing room at Law & Order had all just recently had like a little movie night at one of their houses, and they all watched Eddie Murphy's 1988 oh, Coming to America and decided to like <laughs> make a Law & Order version of it. Mm-hmm. It was terrible. All right, well. Are you ready for the crime? Very. Okay. This episode was not inspired by a specific crime, so I did some researching on crime related to drug trafficking. Mm -hmm. And I specifically didn't want one about, like, a cartel, because I feel like I'm always talking about cartels. So this is not about a cartel so much as, like, individual players. I feel like lately Law & Order has <laughs> been doing these episodes that aren't based on crimes, but more like concepts. Yeah, I would say that's accurate. Okay, so this is the story of the cocaine cuties. <laughs> oh, I'm into this. Okay, so it's just kind of a wild story. So this story revolves around two women named Isabella... Okay, they're both French-Canadian. They're from Quebec. So I believe it's Isabelle Lagasse and Melina Roberge. Okay. And that's how I'm going to pronounce it. I couldn't find, like, a, a accurate pronunciation of um, their last name, so I'm doing my best. I'm with you. So, Quebec is one of 13 provinces in Canada, and it's actually the largest province by area and the second largest by population because it's home to Montreal and the capital of Quebec City. So, it's a pretty large area, pretty populated area, and it's located, because I'm really bad with Canadian geography, because we literally never learned it in school, mm -hmm. um, it's, like, kind of right above Maine and, like, some of the other northeastern states. So, it's that part of Canada. Okay. So, Melina was a manager at a Pandora jewelry store in Montreal, and her friend Isabel worked at a local cafe. Oh, those bracelets. And... Those Pandora bracelets. Those <laughs> charm bracelets. Are they the charms, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I remember Pandora, but I couldn't remember, like, what they were sort of, like, known for. But now that you say charm bracelets, that's, I remember now. There is a skit on SNL that is, like, my favorite thing ever. It pokes fun at, like, men who give women in their life a Pandora bracelet, and then they know that, like, every holiday afterwards, all they're going to get is a charm. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, yeah. I got my husband a car. I got him this, and he got me... A charm of a coffee cup. <laughs> yeah. And there's what they go. To give your give your wife something meaningful. Give her the job give her a charm that says, I know your job, and that job is nurse. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, okay. So both of these women were in their early twenties, like they were twenty three and twenty eight. So I guess twenty eight's not early 20s but anyway they were in their 20s um and they were apparently kind of struggling financially um isabel had a pretty decent amount of debt that she needed to resolve um and melina also similarly was struggling to make ends meet she engaged in some escorting work 
and Isabel had posed for some nude photographs and reportedly performed in some adult films. When you read almost any article about these women, they're like, oh, former porn star oh, Isabel, God. or like, she acted in raunchy films. Like, they, and it's just the way they write about these women is really offensive. And anyway. number one, so what if they did? Number one, but like, so what? of course, that's going to be like the focus. Like, it's this like scandalous. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Melina, through her escorting work, met a man that she would refer to for the next kind of couple of years as her sugar daddy. And he would take her to nice restaurants, he would buy her clothes, pay for her expenses in exchange for her escorting services. And he also took Melina on some trips, including a trip to Morocco, where it seems as though he had introduced her to other men who were also looking for escort services. Mm -hmm. And it was during this trip that Melina was offered the opportunity to take a luxury cruise along with her friend Isabel. So these women were offered cruise tickets that were worth more than $20,000 each. (laughs) They were also given $6,000 of spending money each for the amount of time that they were on the trip. And they were also promised some more money at the end of the trip. And this was a really attractive opportunity for both of them because they, A, never could have afforded this trip on their own. And they were, like, told by these men, like, this is going to be the trip of a lifetime. It's going to be amazing. Um, And they were like, okay, great. The catch is that they were to be drug mules to smuggle cocaine into Australia. Just a small catch. Small catch. So apparently cocaine sells for, like, almost three times as much in Australia as, like, the United States and Canada, apparently because it's really hard to get it into the country, and so it's, uh, I guess, there's less availability, so it's worth more money. Right. So Melina, when she was on this Morocco trip and, and the men were talking to her about this cruise, was essentially told that, you know somebody backed out of the trip and like, we really need somebody to do us this favor. Like you, all you have to do, you and your friend, just go on this cruise, spend a bunch of money. And essentially you're serving as like decoys. We need you to just like take photos, post them on Instagram about what a great time you're having. And this, you know, all the things you're doing on this cruise, blah, blah, blah. So they agree. And Isabel and Melina were flown first class to the United Kingdom to board the cruise ship. And there they there was another man involved in the operation who also joined them on the cruise named um, Andre Tamin. This is like very broke down palace. I've never seen that. <gasps> oh, that's a classic. Should I? I, I don't know if okay. it holds up well, but that was like the okay. movie <laughs> back in the day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the two women flew first class to the UK and they boarded the MS Sea Princess in 2016 with the final destination of the cruise being Australia. Mm-hmm. So just to give you, like like I said, this, these were like $20,000 cruise tickets. So just to give you a sense of this ship, this ship was 856 feet long, which is just shy of like three football fields long. Ooh, damn. <laughs> It can house 2,000 passengers as well as the crew of 900. Whew. So it's it's very it's a very large, very fancy, very expensive cruise ship. And as I said, the women were at the time 23 and 28 years old, and they were basically told just you know take they were they're as I said or as I probably didn't say at the beginning they were also just both like very beautiful women, um, and kind of had wanted to have, like, their own sort of Instagram followings because, you know, people can get reasonably wealthy or at least make good livings just being Insta-famous. Yeah, so yeah. that was kind of one of the things that they were like, oh, great, well, like, we're going to go on this once-in-a-lifetime cruise and get to take photos at all of these, like, unbelievable locales, and that'll help our Instagram followers, too. And we're getting money and a free cruise, so... I mean, that's, like, on the they dream. Went. Basically, minus the cocaine. Minus the cocaine, yeah. I think that's a small detail. (laughs) Small detail. So the cruise began in Britain. Um, It went to Ireland, the United States, Bermuda, Colombia, Panama, Ecuador, Tahiti, Peru, Chile, and then finally Australia. So they really went all over the place. 
Um, prior to the trip, Melina and Isabel had both kind of turned their Instagram accounts into sort of like a photo journal of their traveling as a way to kind of, again, service decoys, but also, uh, you know, attract followers and things like that. Yeah. So along the trip, both Isabel and Melina posted numerous photos of themselves at various stops around the world, including photos of the two of them in Times Square, uh, photos of them getting Irish coffee at the Irish seaport town of Cobb in Bermuda. They took photos of themselves in their swimwear on the beach and captioned it, gone to a place very peaceful, leave a message after the tone. So this appears to have been a pretty all-inclusive trip. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the women really didn't have to pay for anything. They were just given 6000 for like random spending as as while they were on the trip. Nice. By the way, this was a a two-month-long trip. So they had a a good amount of spending money. That's like $1,000 a week, essentially. Yeah. So the cruise consisted of them, like, being able to, at various ports, like, ride ATVs in the desert. They got to just, like, lounge by the pool. They posted photos of them, like, drinking from coconuts and, like, being at dinners wearing nice cocktail dresses. Um, During a stop in the capital city of Tahiti, the women got matching tribal tattoos and took a selfie with the, I know, right? And took a selfie with the caption, hashtag dumb and dumber. (laughs) Not gonna lie. I mean. (laughs) Not gonna disagree. I'm not seeing the the lie yet, but (laughs) here we go. Another said, while they were in Tahiti, uh, like first time in Papite, which is the um, capital, and not the last one. In Chile, Melina posted a photo with a caption saying, Traveling with an open mind, ready to taste everything, see everything, learn everything, and get out of your comfort zone. And that this was, quote, the best therapy lesson ever. Ready to live everything, laugh everything, love everything, eat everything, well, pray everything. <laughs> brace yourself, because in Cuba, Isabel posted a photo with a caption, Eat Beach, sleep, repeat. Oh, God, I can't. Was it like her? Can you just throw yourself into traffic? Honestly, (laughs) like, this is just every Instagram that I hate, every Instagram that I hate, you are just telling me the posts. You're giving me a... Yeah, you're just, like, checking all the boxes. A play-by-play of all the Instagrams that I hate of people being... (laughs) I can't. I cannot. In that, um, like, traveling with an open mind post, Melina also wrote that, um, I used to be afraid to get out of my little town, and now I feel like I don't want to see that little town anymore, because it's beautiful out here and so worth it. Oh, God. It's very, like, I live where you vacation. Very much, yes. So, on August 28th, the ship arrived in its final port of Sydney Harbor early in the morning. At approximately 6 a.m., Australian Border Force officers boarded the MSC Princess with drug-sniffing dogs that led them immediately to Melina and Isabel's cabin. Mm. In Melina and Isabel's cabin, they found more than 23 kilograms of cocaine. Um, and in the, the the man who was also part of the operation, they they didn't know him and they didn't really like interact with him much on the boat, but they like knew that he was also part of the same operation. Um, and again, his name was Andre Tamin, and in his cabin, they found more than 70 kilograms of cocaine. Damn. In total, um, and in pounds, because we don't use kilograms, mm-hmm. uh, just so to give you some context, they seized over 209 pounds of cal- cocaine from the suitcases of Isabel, Molina, and Andre. Wow. Wow. <laughs> This would be the largest drug seizure in Australian history. Um, One thing did say, like, being brought in by boat or plane. And I'm a little confused because I don't understand how cocaine could get into Australia if not by boat or plane. Uh, Underground tunnels? Like, what? (laughs) A really big, a hot air balloon? A hot air balloon. balloon. You got it. Blimp. (sighs) Okay. So the cocaine seized uh, seized by the Australian Border Force is quoted in various articles as being worth, like, slightly different amounts, but it's estimated to have been worth no less than $21 million and upwards of $30 million worth of cocaine. Wow. The operation, like, the the capture, the tracking of, of Melina and Isabel and Andre, was a joint operation between the Australian Border Force, the Australian Federal Police... Uh, U.S. Department of Homeland Security, New Zealand Customs Service, and the Canada Border Service Agency. Hmm. So there were a lot of 
national and international agencies cooperating to kind of track drug smuggling into Australia. And for some reason, this trio of two 20-year-olds in debt and a 65-year-old man traveling alone just flagged something in their system. Really? You know, these two random women getting a $20,000 cruise ticket uh, traveling alone, and then this uh, 65-year-old man traveling by himself. They were like, this is weird. We should look into them. Yeah, I mean... Th- so they were... I wonder why. Maybe because they were documenting every moment of their day and life on uh, social media. Right. Right. So they were flagged as high-risk passengers by the Department of Homeland Security and Canadian Border Services Agency. So these two women were only two of the members of what was seen to be a seven-person drug smuggling operation, like in this individual operation, not like the entire scheme, of course. Um, But for some reason, only Isabel and Melina were immediately charged. Mm -hmm. Andre was charged shortly after, but the other men who actually like orchestrated the smuggling operation have yet to be identified or charged. Of course. Right. So the two women were charged with importing a commercial amount of cocaine, which is a federal crime that has a maximum sentence of life in prison. Isabel immediately pled guilty, while Melina kind of initially was like, I didn't know anything about it. It was she. she uh, she immediately she tried. tried to blame it all on Isabel. Oh, wow. Yeah. She was like, uh, it was all in Isabel's luggage. I didn't know anything about it. I'm just an innocent. I was just going on this trip with my friends. She does not support other and women. And she does not support other women. So the prosecutors were like, come on. You were, and they were like, you were in a cabin, a very small cabin, for 40 days. And you're telling us you didn't know about the like 75 pounds of cocaine I'm con- in the room. <laughs> the image I'm conjuring up in my mind is the uh, the chief in the episode with the cigarette right now, giving that face like, girl. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In the recent episode, <laughs> yes. yeah. Like, really? And adding to this less than likely story that she didn't know anything about it, the authorities said that both of their suit, both of their suitcases had so much cocaine in them that they had like barely even had room for underwear and toothbrushes. God. So seems pretty unlikely that uh, Melina didn't know anything about it. So um, shifting to the trial, the investigators believed that the women were involved with an international drug syndicate and they pressured Melina to give up the name of her sugar daddy because he was the one who had either orchestrated this or gotten her connected to those other men in the trip to Morocco who had helped to orchestrate it. Mm -hmm. But in court, Melina would refuse to give the name of her sugar daddy, saying that, quote, I feel like I would be in danger if I mentioned his name. So... For she was actually in a, in a few articles they talk about how she was really concerned that her family could be like targeted and harmed if she were to give up his name. So it sounds like he maybe wasn't uh, necessarily the most upstanding guy mm-hmm. potentially. Yeah. So during trial, Melina told the court that she and Isabel were hired and told that they were just there to look pretty and serve as decoys of the operation while other people engaged in the actual drug smuggling. They were encouraged by the men who had hired them to post photos of themselves throughout the trip, presumably to make the trip look less suspicious. Uh, it seems to have had the opposite effect yeah. of that. She. Oh, and by, I, one other thing I neglected to mention was... But, I couldn't find a ton of details about these women's relationships with their family prior to their departure, but there were several articles that talked about how the the women were like, all right, well, I'm going on a two-month-long cruise, and their family was like, excuse me? You're, like, massively in debt, and you work at a cafe. How are you ex- How are you affording a two-month cruise? And they were just like, oh, don't worry about it. Bye. So it, the, the cover story for all of this was less than well thought out, it seems. Yeah, the cover story was... Don't worry about it. (laughs) Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. Um, She also told the court that she suspected that the drugs had actually come aboard in Peru because they they didn't have the, like, 50 pounds of cocaine when they left the UK. Uh, But during the stop to Peru, the other folks that were apparently part of this, like, seven-person drug smuggling operation had, like, gone on and off the ship 
um, like more than four times while they were stopped that day in Peru. So that, that's when they think like the cocaine was being brought on board. Mm. During trial, Melina indicated remorse for her decisions and stated that she had put everything on the line for the chance to take selfies in exotic locations to receive likes and attention. Mm. Now, whether or not that is actually true, I think her lawyers would encourage that angle because that story paints her as this like naive girl who just really wanted to have internet fame and had essentially been like that had been taken advantage of by these drug smugglers basically yeah i think that's smart that's very like very on the tip of people's minds right now that kind of influencer and the the yes the striving for likes and the mental health of someone who like needs the public attention and stuff like that that's smart yes now However, I will say I really didn't like how the judge spoke to and about these women during the trial. Mm -hmm. Um, Judge Kate Trail said, quote, She was seduced by lifestyle and the opportunity to post glamorous Instagram photos from around the world. She wanted to be the envy of others. I doubt she is now. And she said that Isabel Roberge's motivation, uh, oh, sorry, Melina Roberge's motivation was, quote, a very sad indictment on her age group who, quote, seek to attain such a vacuous existence where how many likes they receive are their currency. And I just, I I, I don't like that. I feel like it's... um, Uh, It's very condescending to her in general. And also, like, the whole, like, likes are currency. Well, they are. Like, Mm -hmm. you actually can make money with that. So the whole, like, right, like, shaming people for wanting that, I think, is stupid. I I wish that the girls had just leaned into the microphone at that point and been like, you sound jealous. (laughs) (laughs) How many Instagram do you, followers do you have, Judge? (laughs) Sorry that you follow more than you're followed. Oh, my God. So, to me, all of the all of the things I read about what the judge said about them and to them during the, the trial seems like they were blaming all of this on their need for attention, when what I read from their stories is, like, they were just, they were, yes, this was an opportunity to go on a big cruise, but also, the women were offered, I didn't say the amount at the beginning, because I didn't want to bury the lead, each of them was offered $100,000 at the end of the trip if this all went smoothly. Wow. So they were getting a two-month cruise, all expenses paid, $6,000 in spending money, and another hundred k at the end of it. So this was going to solve a lot of their oh <laughs> financial God, problems. Yes. So it feels to me like they were, you know, trying to survive, trying to figure out how to make money, and... I feel like how I don't like that the judge was like blaming them, their need for attention when it seems to me like they were responding to kind of like a shitty economy that they were trying to survive in. Yeah. So Melina was found guilty and she was sentenced to five years. And after those five years were over, and this was in um, Australia. So, and remember she's from Canada. So after those five years were over, she was supposed to be deported to Canada And what I could not find information on was whether she would face charges in Canada Mm. once she got back. But based on the things I read, that does not seem to be the case. Yeah, okay. So Andre was sentenced to eight years and five months. And during his sentencing, he said, quote, I stupidly did as others told me to do rather than stand up for myself. I know what I did was wrong. He was reportedly offered $158,000 for his role in the smuggling operation. So he was going to be getting paid more, presumably maybe because he was uh, smuggling uh, more cocaine than the women were. Yeah. Or they just wanted to pay a man more. Who knows? Um, And Andre is actually eligible for parole next year, March of 2022. Mm Mm-hmm. So both Melina and Isabel, as I said, they were found guilty, and they were held in a prison in New South Wales following their arrest. And in February of 2021, after completing her five-year prison sentence, Melina expressed her apologies to the people of Australia and said that while she was in prison, she had met people struggling with addiction, and she did not want any part of that ever again. Isabel was released to the custody of the Department of Home Affairs and deported back to Canada. Um, And Melina, whose sentence was slightly longer than Isabel's, was released in May of 2021 and also sent back to Canada. 
Since she returned to Canada, Isabel has maintained a low profile and denied requests for interviews, which is literally all I could find about their lives once they got back to Canada, which leads me to believe that they aren't facing any criminal charges from Canada. But who knows? Maybe it's things like that can also just take a long time. So maybe they are dealing with stuff. Wow. I mean, like, that's totally opposite of the way they were. Their presence was probably so all over the place throughout this whole trip on the internet. Uh, And now they're like maintaining low profiles. (laughs) Right. So the Australian federal police have said that the investigation into this operation is still ongoing and that further arrests have not been ruled out because one of the investigators involved in the case stated that their investigation had um, turned up a man named Frederick his last name is spelled L-A-V-O-I-E, and again, I believe that's French-Canadian. I do not know how to pronounce it. I'm going to say Lavoie. That's what I would have said. Thanks. Okay, so I'm just going to call him Frederick. He had exchanged encrypted text messages with an individual who they believe was part of this Moroccan uh, like deal that was struck. Um, And these encrypted text messages asked if they had any drug mules available to send to Australia and that, you know, it gave dollar amounts for how much the cocaine should be worth. But before authorities could track down Frederick Lebois, he was killed. And so they, their investigation into him kind of dead ended. Mm. Not, that's a bad turn of phrase for somebody who's actually dead, but you get what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So... Melina's Instagram account was taken down after her arrest, and I will say that I I spent a good amount of time trying to find the Instagram posts from their vacations, just because I was curious, like, to see the photos and, like, what they had posted and stuff. And you can find a lot of the photos online, but the Instagram itself is taken down. Mm. But some of the uh, websites that have the photos also show comments that the women had received after they had been arrested. And those comments are horrendous. I can imagine. Um, you, would, you would literally think that their crime was, like, torturing babies oh, with God. the amount of, like, hatred people threw at them. Like, of course, all of it was, like, slut-shaming them and using derogatory words related to sex work. <sighs> mm-hmm. And as I was reading this, I... This is so funny. I'm mentioning Erin Keefe from Hey Riddle Riddle twice. Um, I just think about... Her, her a lot when uh she said on one episode where she was talking to her other two co-hosts where she said something like just try being a woman on the internet and she was like the amount of like gross and horrible things men send to her or like any woman on the internet is just wild and so uh regardless i just want to say end with saying regardless of what a woman does you don't have a right to shame her for her sexuality or for anyone engaging in sex work no and that is the story of the cocaine cuties isabel lagasse and melina roberge wow that is crazy isn't that that wild i (laughs) i wanted to do a story about smuggling drugs that didn't involve the actual cartel and this was a very um intriguing story and the headline of cocaine cuties was pretty uh, and they will i will say cocaine cuties was like the most popular name folks referred to them by they were also called the cocaine cowgirls or the cocaine babes like uh, everything was like uh you know all of all of those kinds of words for these women so i think he chose the right one anyway (laughs) thank you (laughs) wow I just I I think like who who hasn't had the aspiration to tr- to want to become like famous on the internet in some way where like you can kind of like, g- give up the grind of the everyday where like the nine to five or or worse Monday through Friday and then your like days off are spent running errands or running yourself into the ground with no time to recharge like who hasn't like looked at the internet seen some of these influencers out there and been like, oh, God, if I could just breathe, you know what I mean? If I could just right. breathe the right. air of that for, like, a week, what a dream. Like, who, especially totally people in financial peril, like, who wouldn't right. aspire to do something like that, you know? Who wouldn't jump at the chance? Totally. It's I mean, not to say right. that, I mean, you know, doing the drug smuggling was the right choice, but I don't know. I just feel, who wouldn't jump at the chance to try to, like, get out of this 
Well, and, you know, the other part of this is we don't get a ton of information on, like, the com- how they convinced these women to, like, actually go on the trip. Mm-hmm. It sounds like, from several articles I read, that they were literally told, like, you all you have to do is just be a decoy, and you just have to take photos and be on this trip. So they might have literally had no idea about, like, the drugs coming into their room and, like, being stored in their luggage until they were already on the cruise, potentially. Yeah. So they might have been like, uh, like, oh, God, I can't do anything about it at this point. So who knows what they were told at the outset and how much they were really involved in in knowing the details of the operation. But based on the, the little information I could find about that, it doesn't—they certainly didn't have the whole picture, it sounds like to me. Yeah, it doesn't sound like they were the, the criminal masterminds of the plan, you know what I mean? <laughs> it definitely did not sound like that. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, great job. So, thank you. How would you rate the episode? Um, for watchability, I'm going to give it, like, a D+. Plus. It was hard to follow at times, but it was, you know, it kept my attention, but it was hard to follow and it was hard to stomach. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was very convoluted because you had like consulates and politicians and chiefs from Africa and kings from Africa and like all, like there were many different levels of like political players so it was kind of hard to track like what was going on at any given time yeah and i thought that some of the some of the things were like a reach you know like oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah so i don't know what about you um i'm gonna give it an f <laughs> uh i think this was one of the worst episodes we've had to watch so far <sighs> it wasn't to me like it, it wasn't a very interesting storyline they did like so many things that looked like really offensive stereotypes of like folks from Africa and African culture, Nigerian culture. And I was just like, wow, this is a train wreck of an episode. Yeah. Yeah. I, for the, for the crime or for the topic that they covered, the drug smuggling trade and all that, I give it yeah. an F for sure. I felt like it was yeah. like, I would, terrible narrative like really yes. really poorly stereotyped and like not even yes clever you know what i mean not even clever no. about it not even like law and order sometimes tries to put in some kind of a ridiculous twist and it's like well where'd that come from and at least it kind of makes it interesting if not outrageous but this was just <laughs> like okay this just had twists for no reason yeah and it gets an f even just for suggesting that that woman would have slept with uh with logan oh <laughs> Agreed. No shame to Chris Knopf now, because I think he is hot, especially now. But Logan? No, no. Nogan. You know what's funny, though, is I think I read on IMDb that he was dating that woman at the time. Well, I... I'm okay, pretty well, sure I read that. Chris Knopf is, is an attractive guy. I think it's the character of yeah, Logan, Logan that makes him, like, gross. Yeah. It was super gross. Yeah. What about you for the, the topic or crime? Oh, F. Yeah, yeah F's all around. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, this is one of our lowest scored ones i think i think so yeah. yeah listen i know that your phone is either in your hands right now or in your reach so if you would just pick it up and head on over to whatever podcast app you're currently listening to this on and subscribe to us and while you're there rate and review us because that really really helps other people find our show it's like the single greatest thing you can do to support any podcast that you enjoy listening to it really is and the best way for other people to find out about a podcast like ours is through word of mouth so tell a friend post about us on reddit or find other ways to spread the word we love connecting with our listeners too so feel free to send us an email at rippedheadlinespod at gmail.com find us on instagram twitter and facebook at ripped headlines And if you'd like to learn more about us and find information about our show, merch, and our Patreon, which is now available, check out our website, rippedheadlinespod.com. And speaking of Patreon, a percentage of our Patreon proceeds get donated to the Equal Justice Initiative. So by supporting us, you are also supporting positive change in the world. And thank you so much for listening to Rip from the Headlines, where you get the facts and some fiction. We will see you next week. And until then, stay out of the headlines. Bye.